been like what a couple of months now we haven't it's been, been able a couple to, of yeah months. I know yes. I can't believe it's been a long time I know. our schedules have just been so different and yes. you got married I did I got married so I had a destination wedding so it was sort of a week-long wedding with friends a couple friends and family that were very close and so kind of I guess a honeymoon tumbled in there but we wanted to just be with everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) we didn't care to be alone we're alone a lot so it's fine and then I took a trip (laughs) took a trip to Canada for 10 days so um that kind of killed a lot of just the planning and kind of getting stuff together June and part of I mean part of July I guess it's really been the last two weeks that I've been around but Mm -hmm. I have been off uh off out and about so congratulations on your wedding thank you very much Mm -hmm. I appreciate that Mm -hmm. yes it's um interesting the conversations that come up about are you going to change your name and what's that going to look like and yeah it's not fun. It's a long process, which yeah. I decided to do, which I wasn't. You're going to do it? I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. wow. Congratulations. That's a big decision. Yeah. I mean, I, so my middle name, I basically moved my last name to my middle name. So mm-hmm. that professionally, if you even just did a search for my first and maiden last name, you would find me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I'm getting around that. So that professionally, I'm because I, I built a professional career for you know, 20 years on my real, not my real name, my maiden name, I guess. Right. And I didn't want to hyphenate either. So I, that's what I did is I just kind of did, you know, the, the middle name thing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not totally done with all the requirements, but what's yeah. your um, new last name, your married name? Oh, it's Wolk W O L K. Okay. Partly I changed it for ease. It's my last name. Seafin is harder for people to spell mm. and um, it's just easier. Well, W O L K is easy. S C fin. It's like S like Sam. E like Edward. Okay, okay, just it, mm-hmm. it, it, people are like, what was that? S S S F E S. And it's like it's 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 stressful. So yeah, yeah. Well, besides getting married and and doing a lot of personal stuff, you've had a lot yeah. going on professionally too. How's CTA going? CTA, yes. CTA's critical therapy antidote has is moving along quite well. I mean, I think we're pretty much getting to a place where we're in an incorporated organization now. Mm. So that just puts us into kind of a different level um, at this point. And, you know, we have our podcast, which we're getting some really good um, guests. I think, you know, we're we're very behind in the sense that, you know, we've got to edit and do all that stuff our, ourselves because we don't have anybody that we've hired to mm. take that on at this point. So, um, but, you know, we're developing different arms. There's a peer consultation arm that I've been sort of heading up, if you will, mm-hmm. which is for practitioners who are looking for consultation from other peers, but don't want you know, a CSJ lens. They don't want a a critical social justice lens. They want to Mm -hmm. be able to speak about their clients from the traditional lenses of what therapy, you know, is and what those groups are supposed to be. So that has gained a lot of attention. It's been very popular. Mm -hmm. Um, So from that, there are some offshoot types of groupings that are happening for people that are interested in like a book club, 
um, mm-hmm. to talk about books that are out there and how that's relevant or not relevant. And people who are interested in, I mean, we've had people approaching us who want to do um, like advice, like a, a consult group for students only mm-hmm. who are trying to get through the programs and are struggling with the CSJ focus. So all that's under that purview of mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of taken off, like grown a life of its own. I mean, these, these meetings that are like consultation groups, normally we started it at an hour and then we mm-hmm. kind of said, okay, well, it looks like people are really interested in staying and talking. So we'll just end it at the hour, but I'll stay 30 extra minutes for extra questions or discussion. And that turned into the group now is like an hour and a half. Okay. And we're kicking people off. Oh, wow. <laughs> we're ending it and, and saying, okay, we really have to end now. People just want to talk. They're yeah. so overwhelmed and they're so isolated and they just want to talk. So that's been, um, that's been good with CTA. It's kept me a bit busy and, uh, you know, so it's all good things. You mentioned the student group and I wonder, is there any more, has anybody done any more thinking on how to help students who want to go into this profession? Because I just, I keep coming back to the schools are so they're, they're corrupted with this stuff. They are adding, and it's not just the more extreme ones like Antioch, it's in all these programs. And sometimes I think that when it's more extreme, that's actually easier because it gives you something that you can confront Yes, when it's more subtle, it, there's more dissonance and it's harder to know where to push back. And so you're just, you know, especially when it's being presented, I think that there's almost the, the, one of the harms of this, this sort of ideological infiltration is that the more subtle it is and the more reluctant the presenter is, the more likely you are to passively accept its, its um, presence in the system. And so it really is this very like passive aggressive way of introducing something. And so these students who are going into the counseling profession or into psychology right now, there's so much dissonance around the fact that they've got side-by-side presentation of classical therapy or classical psychology concepts along with social justice. And it, it, I think that that's very psychologically unhealthy, that kind of dissonance and going through something like that and censoring yourself or having to really make a decision all the time about whether you're going to speak up and watching people that you respect spouting this stuff. It's just very unhealthy. So how do we help create something where they don't have to do that, where there's another path through so that we can get new practitioners into the field or new, new people who want to help others and not have to go through this process? Uh, it's a good question. I wish I had a better answer than you know, three or four or eight more months ago, or even a year ago. And I really don't, I mean, CTA, I think one of the goals is to become an institute that provides some level of training. So I don't think a full-fledged program, but, you know, an institute that can provide training where there are people writing articles and stuff so that, so that if you're in this kind of program and it's, it's super infiltrated Mm -hmm. that you can step outside and actually take a course or take a a class or training or workshop on something that is, uh, anti that, that isn't Mm -hmm. the social justice minded, but is more based in, you know, the, the traditional ethos of therapy, 
Um, and so while it won't be a whole program, there would be offerings, classes and offer groups, you know, that mm -hmm. you'd be able to join to have open conversations. Part of it is that book club. Um, there's a book club that CTA is starting where some of the books in there are, you know, they're leaning toward, of course, getting away from the critical social justice, pointing out what's, what's going wrong with it. So that would be an option, you know, mm -hmm. to join a book club and look and read and study other types of books that could easily be used as textbooks. Mm -hmm. There's, mm -hmm. you know, a group, you know, there's groups, you can come to the peer consultation groups and start to hear what other people are doing about certain kinds of things that come up with their clients, learn a little bit more, you know, build training, you know, building trainings so that they can have an experience of a training or mm -hmm. a classroom setting type situation. Um, where they're getting something different. And so I think that's what the whole idea of creating this parallel mm -hmm. kind of process is because to create a parallel profession at this point would take a decade or more probably um, to, to get a school up and running would take, I mean, at least 10 years probably. I know, but, I know that this is outside the box, but I yes. guess I come back to the idea of something like a non-clinical coaching program at yes. least something, something that like that and can offer basic skills training. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Skills training and some theory and some uh, workshops where people can, can do some training and get some practical experience yes. and yes, some grounding in therapeutic concepts. Yes. Maybe not the full licensure offering or, or yes. certification, but some kind of a, some kind of a training so that because a lot of these programs sound like they're what they're meant to do yeah. is to augment or heal from some of the, the damages that are being done and offer yes. something that's yes sort of supplementary. Yes. But there's a pro I think it's a problem when you've got a lot of good people who won't even enter this kind of work because of what the schools look like right now. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think something like that would be um, not very difficult to put together. You know, the the one thing is if you're going to turn it into a business and you've been able to, to be so successful at that, if you're going to turn it into a business and that's going to be, you want to have a coaching practice and a coaching business, there's a lot of um, the, 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 the work behind marketing and getting yourself out there that it, it isn't, you know, when you go to school for that stuff, you start off as a trainee intern, you have, you know, the school has relationships with a lot of clinics and you start, you know, mm -hmm. you're able to meet licensed people, work under them and you can build your the networking. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's just a lot easier yeah. To, yeah. To, to get clients. But, you know, on the other hand, um, this type of training and, 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 and program that you're talking about, so even if it's not a full certification would really qualify almost anyone who goes through that process to just do their own marketing, get their own clients, put themselves out there, however they want to be. I'm on psychology today. I have an ad up there, but I also have my video up there. And I think I was very clear about what my values are. And I get in that video in, yes, in the, well, the fair, the, the, the video that's on, there's the fair video. It's the first video that talks about why I resigned okay. and what I think mental health, um, what, what's, what's missing, you know, okay. and, and what critical social justice has done. So I have done that and you can easily Google my name and find all of these videos. And the reason that I did that, it was very intentional because I wanted to draw in clients that um, were not critical, socially justed, social justice minded ideolog ideolo right. ideologues. I, I didn't want that. And I was clear. So when I look at the stats of the amount of views and clicks that my profile gets a month, 
we're talking about in the thousands, like mm-hmm. four or five thousand. That's a lot. That's so, a lot of views. So I've gotten tons and out of that has turned out very, very, very few clients. Now, is that possibly mm. because of where I live? And it seems to be a lot more um, progressive here mm. uh, or, or oh, what is yeah. it? But mm. I set that precedent in advance because I did not want what I'm hearing is happening to other professionals where they're getting clients who are woke and the client, the work is the work, obviously if that's the work that becomes it. So then you're, then you're, then you're digging down right underneath all those layers. And I just had a conversation with, gosh, I don't remember who it was. I was talking to the other day, but, um, somebody involved with the podcast are going to be a guest or something, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Somebody said to me, you know, oh, well, do you think, cause I, I taught grief is one of my bigger kind of specialties for it's what I started with. Uh, do you think that, you know, can you, can you tie grief into so critical social justice? And it's like, no, I mean, not in a traditional sense, but what we kind of both talked through is that underneath all of that lies the root of what's really going on with people. There's a client that is, I'm going to keep it as broad as I can, but there's a client that this person told me about that exists that is in a different state altogether and, um, has, you know, has kind of come in with that armor. Okay. That armor of critical social justice and really kind of, kind of dug in Mm. and, you know, come to find out when you do some digging what's underlying that she has this very long history of, sexual assault and rape Mm. and a lot of different, you know, horrible traumas and what CSJ provide provides provided her the defense. It's a wall. It's a whole, it's a whole nother layer that you have to, that that she has now to work through to get to what's really going on. Yes. Bingo. Mm. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of what's, what the deal is with the clients that are really married and wedded to this stuff right is getting down to what what it served her well she could dump all of that pain and sorrow and and anger onto a patriarchal white male run society and therefore now she has this whole backing of a movement Mm. when at the end of the day it's about her personal trauma and pain and it has really less to do with what critical social justice is. I mean, is there, uh, you know, issues on a systemic level? I'm sure that you could make a case for that, but Mm -hmm. that's not what she needs. What she needs is healing and she needs support and she needs to process her trauma. So it gave her a scapegoat and a cult identity at the same time. Yeah. A scapegoat and a cult identity. So that's why I've been exceptionally careful and had put up videos and I wanted people to Google me because even if only a couple of people come out of that, you know, know. I'm not, they'll know right away. I'm not, it's a filter and it's Mm -hmm. not something that I'm going to entertain much, um, in terms of a reason or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a way to avoid what's really happening for somebody. So I guess that's the long and short answer there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, that's the best way I could think to do it is to just, you know, market yourself the way that you are going to practice. You can't. So that be seems like that. That seems like uh, you know. On the one hand, that's helpful because if you're in a mainstream marketing platform like Psychology Today, you're putting up, like you said, filters that help you yes. to 
to not get paired up with people who are not going to fit well with because of ideological bias they're going yes. to there's going to be a problem there yes um but there also seems to be a, maybe and I, I think I have a skewed representation just because of the kind of public speaking that this platform offers but I get a lot of inquiries from people who are very specifically wanting to access help but not wanting not trusting either the the medicalization of therapy and or the um, social justice bias Yes, And so people who want sort of a, you know, talk therapy model of support, but specifically want it to come without those biases. And so it seems that there is going to be a growing need for that. Yes. And for people who want to find a way to market under that kind of a heading. Yes. There is going to be a good client base. And I would love to see an organization launch that's just a marketing platform for that. Mm -hmm. That's what I would love to see. Something that is an answer to psychology today, you know, where, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are registered, but you know, another, Mm -hmm. that's another parallel option too. So I guess in the parallel profession to get back to that, I think that it's taking pieces of the profession that we have and finding an answer to, to, to that, those Mm -hmm. things in, in sections. So rather than thinking about it, like we're developing whole new schools. Okay. Like institutions and schools, breaking it down into programs, trainings, and then also where are you going to market yourself? All of those. So it's components and pieces, I think that are the way to go Mm. in terms of providing the option. So now we have all of the training, let's say part of it figured out to to an extent, where are you going to advertise? So we need something that can compete with psychology today that can have a place for people who aren't going to practice using that lens. And it can be for coaches and therapists Mm -hmm. where psychology today is pretty much therapists. They vet you. So they vet your license and all that. It's a whole process before you can even get approved. Now, something that's not as regulated uh, could be the place where a hub where people can advertise and, and you know, start to grow some visibility hmm. that don't want Gosh, that. Gosh, that would of- be really cool to start a directory. Yes. Like that. Yes. And, you know, it could be with a, you could do as much or as little vetting as you yes. want, as long as you have the right disclaimers. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. You have the right. And you helped me quite a bit with that, which I appreciate. And then having those disclaimers on, you mm-hmm. know, your confidentiality agreement forms mm-hmm. or consent forms, and then also having some language, you know, on the the actual directory that'll tell people what it is and what it isn't because conservative therapists.com is another directory and mm-hmm. they're therapists that, you know, it's almost like, you know, and I have, I, I have such mixed feelings about this because it's almost like in, in order to counteract what's happening with the very progressive left side, the radicalness, there's this desire to, to, to then become conservative, right? So what happens to people that aren't captured by far left wing, you know, ideology and craziness and insanity, but also aren't far right, you know, because mm-hmm. things like abortion come up in that scenario and other kinds of political right. issues. So where do those, I mean, the radical center, right? The name of your, <laughs> the name of your channel, 
that's, 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 so the answer there maybe isn't conservative therapists.com, mm -hmm. but it's the only other option right now. That's a directory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a different answer though. There's one that doesn't have to be. And, and I wouldn't say those therapists lean totally on a conservative, you know, place, but they needed something to look so that they looked different from what was already out there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Those directories, you know, there's a there's a way to do this. I think hmm. Hmm. that's interesting. I almost feel like I could host people on my website. Yes, <laughs> you know, just make a directory page. That would be. I think that's a great way to start. Um, yeah. You can do that. And the thing about it that's good is that you're not also bound by state lines, and you're not bound by state licensing board regulations. Like you can see people that are all over the country, mm -hmm. and that's um, something that you cannot do if you are if practicing under your license, right. your therapy license. Yeah. Interesting. You know? So, um, yeah, so it's just an interesting, so it's just an observation that I have that, you know, people had to kind of respond in a totally opposite ended, you know, or Christian there, you know, Christian counselors, not that there's anything wrong with actually having a religious, you know, slant, but again, it doesn't really answer the question of this still group of people that aren't really that either. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can start doing that on yours. I know critical therapy and don't want to start a directory, but there's literally like four of us that are considered on the board. Now mm -hmm. we've created sort of a board. We've had to create a board and the initiatives that are on our plates are like overwhelmingly, you know, there's a lot of work to do and it's, um, uh, it's going to take more than four people, you know, really. And we're kind of the core people and, and really it's two that are kind of doing a majority majority of it I'm kind of you know I've had I have a niche and that's kind of it so mm. um it would be great to start directories though wherever we can even if it's only a handful of people you can recommend because yeah. uh, it, it it that's it has to be it has to be built and I think we need to talk about offering trainings I think that would be phenomenal to do also mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oceana 23 says does this list of therapists exist now and while Christine was talking about one place you can go for a list, conservativetherapists.com, is that what yes, it is? Something yes. like that. And then um, CTA does have a directory, but it's internal right now. So there's not yes. like a page where you can access that. But if you yes. do want, if you are a therapist who wants to work with CTA, what, what wants to network with CTA, you can email and, and get in touch. And if you're a client or a prospective client and you want to work with someone who's not ideologically aligned with the social justice stuff, you can email CTA and they will yes. send that email out to their members. And so you'll probably get at least one or two, maybe sometimes several people who will respond and you'll be able to vet them yourself. Yes. But it's internal. That's correct. Mm -hmm. But it is internal. So yeah, there's, I don't know of an external one, but that would be kind of cool. I also have um, a growing list of of people that I refer to when yes. I get inquiries. So, but that's also internal on my end. So yes, the idea of putting that out, I think it's a really interesting idea. If people might like to have yeah. a counter to the psychology today kind of standard. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. I think so. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it, it's also one thing to kind of filter through, you know, 10,000 ads on psychology today to try to find someone versus going to, 
a, a directory where you know that all of those people are basically going to be, you know, saying, you know, that, that they don't practice from that lens. So then it becomes about really just finding which person and which style is a match for you mm-hmm. because using things like the big directories, I'm telling you thousands of people come traipsing through and, you know, it's a needle in a haystack, you mm. know, that, 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 that can find you, um, or that is actually interested. Um, if, if they're pouring through that particular website, they're looking for some, something, something else, mm-hmm. something specific. And, you know, there's tons of, and, and again, you just have to Google me and you'll see what I have to say on all these different podcasts. And, and that's not typical, right? We used to be extremely, you know, if you're a therapist, you keep your, your kind of your opinions to yourself, you stay quiet. Right. right. And that's interesting. You know. Cause I wonder what that does to, to be someone who has spoken about these things and given such a strong opinion about things, even if it's, even if it's a strong opinion about guarding therapy yes. against some things, it still puts you in a little bit of a political yes. sphere, which is different. That's a different thing than what, what you think of when you think of a therapist, you think of yes. somebody who's going to be really neutral on these things. Yes. And I found myself having to say, these are what, these are my values. These mm-hmm. are my core values. I never in a million years would have thought to do that. I wasn't even sure psychology today would be okay with it. Mm. Um, but they are, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. pretty much they'll stay out of your way as long as your license is legitimate. They that's all they care about pretty much. Um, you're not doing anything inappropriate, but you know, that's the other part of it. So um hmm. that makes yeah, me wonder if if that's gonna last. I guess yeah. 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 I mean uh, you'll and on conservativetherapist.com, that directory, if you look at the profiles of the people that are providing therapy they also are very clear on what their values are. I mean, it's, it's a clear indicate, like, this is what I value that, you know, authenticity and honesty mm-hmm. fact, like I believe in biology. I believe mm-hmm. in, you know, concrete, you know, d- d- scientific, you know, g- I believe in two genders, they may mm-hmm. even say, right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're really putting it, it out there in a way that we never thought we would actually have to ever do. Cause I wasn't really like you just said, it wasn't really what you thought of when you thought of a therapist, nor was it really the role, but it's evolved into that because there's almost no other way to say I'm not an ideologue. And I really don't want to take on clients that have that lens because that lens is so damaging, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the client and, and, uh, you know, and, and there's therapists who are not ideologues and who don't go for this stuff. And they'll still see clients who have all that going on, but I don't want to sift through all that yeah. um, just to get down to the bottom of why um, yeah. you're a social justice warrior than to understand later that really there's all this pain and stuff underneath. And this has been a way to, yeah, as a defense, a deflection, you know, per, a means of protection, a, a, a person to put the blame on that's not yourself. Cause a lot of people who are victims or survivors of abuse blame themselves. I mean, the perpetrator Yes, but they blame, they take that on. And this is kind of a way to externalize that blame, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not just on the perpetrator, but on an entire system with a group of people, like a massive group of people who have your Mm -hmm. back and also blame the system. Well, it's interesting also to think about what it does to have two different tracks of therapy by and for social justice folks and therapy by and for 
explicitly not social justice people. Yes. You know, that's kind of interesting too, because when you're thinking about taking on a client who is involved in the social justice thinking, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I see young people that are, yes. that I'm seeing because their parents have wanted them to get involved with, with someone. And so I, and I, I don't have any problem building a bridge across that because I understand, mm-hmm. I, I want to understand what that means to the person. Mm-hmm. I want to be curious and open about what it means to sure. them. And there's still, there's so much going on beyond just that one lens that's, that's laid over certain aspects of their lives. So there's so much richness and discussion and yes, discovery to have that can, that can go on. Um, and it doesn't have to be a barrier, but I do feel like, I guess a couple of things. One, there's always the thought that I need to be really, really careful in how I talk about things all the time. I mean, just, especially making these recordings and stuff, because oh, if my clients, I don't want them to look at something that I've said and think that I said something that was really offensive or, yes. or um, that that's directly contradictory to something that I would say to them. Yes. And have that hurt their feelings and make them feel like they've been betrayed and lied to. So I want to make sure that I'm always presenting everything really in a very nuanced and careful way, whether it's on YouTube or in session with someone. Yes. But I also picture this other thing that I've heard about happening with therapy client and, and counselor relationships where there's a real animosity towards the, the, where the, the person's social justice leanings really get in the way of them even being able to talk to the therapist if the therapist isn't hundred percent on board because it's that activist mindset. Yes. And I haven't encountered that. Yes. I think that's fantastic. And, and I do wonder if maybe there's sort of a, an assumption, you know, looking at my videos and things I've said before that are like, okay, well, this is way too you know, conservative leaning for me, or this person isn't going to get it because Mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, so that's, it's very possible that that's happened before. Um, but I don't, I, I, I haven't heard of anybody that's run across clients yet that are so difficult to reach because of this. It does come up at CTA a little bit when we do our peer consultation group, but the peer, but you know, we're, it's a global network. So there are Mm -hmm. people practicing Mm -hmm. all over the country and all over the world too. So, I mean, you're just, just by the nature of the numbers, you're going to wind up having a couple of people Mm -hmm. that are going to say, you know, I've got a client or or two who, who's really kind of, you know, needs to decouple from this. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not that common. I think that the, the more common is that the therapist is the person that needs to decouple from the ideologist mm-hmm. I- ideology mm-hmm. rather than the client. So I think part of me putting that out there is to also let those people know, you know, if you're not somebody who's an ideologue, Hey, you know, come my way. I'm not mm-hmm. either. It's almost mm-hmm. a way to kind of, you know, the bridge that you're talking about for me to build a bridge with, with people that, that don't want that kind of skewed lens from right. their therapist. Right. Yeah. I think that is the more critical side of things. Yes. Because that's the really alarming piece right now yes. is that for people who are looking for therapy and are unaware of 
the degree to which this has become a part of that picture for so many people because it's being explicitly taught well, to and I think emerging I mentioned, therapists. It is. And I think I mentioned, maybe it was here, but I've mentioned this before. You know, I have a, a family friend or, you know, mm-hmm. my partner, my husband's friends, it's a friend, a friend of a friend, but anyway, saw a therapist for the first time. And the first, the first, you know, comment that was made is, well, you're just not acknowledging your white privilege as a man. And that shut him down yeah. from ever going back. So it's like, that's, that's a going, similar story. I'm hearing that a lot. That from people. is, mm-hmm. that is the problem. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more about reaching the client and saying, look, you're not going to get that here. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, mm-hmm. that's, what's the issue. Or you have the, you know, the, the therapists who are, um, you know, uh, suggesting books like white fragility, that's what they're suggesting that their clients read to understand how their whiteness plays a role in, in their own suffering and pain and the suffering and pain that they've caused others. So that's, what's that that's yeah. when we talk about the schooling part to kind of circle back to that very first, you know, kind of mm-hmm. part of the conversation, that's where the issue is, is that the, the institutes you're going to, to train at are infusing that. So they're actually making it part of building rapport is to acknowledge the privilege in the room first. It's to acknowledge it's for the client to be able to see it. It's for you to be able to see your own privilege. Right. And to be and the to- broaching of race and the intersectionality, all of, all yeah. of it. And, and I'm on, you know, I'm on a Reddit group for something totally different. It's something personal that I'm on a Reddit group for. And, you know, I just go on there and learn new things and, and stuff. And, this is something that is, it has to do with kind of my, my medical, you know, um, my met my health, my medical, I've had some health issues mm-hmm. for a while now that I've been lucky and grateful to have under control, but I'm still part of this Reddit group. And every now and again, somebody will make a comment in there about a particular, you know, medication that is only available like to those who are privileged. And they'll say something like, well, I'm privileged enough to have access, but not everybody is. Now there's some truth mm-hmm. to that because mm-hmm. the medications these people are talking about are very expensive, even mm-hmm. if you go through insurance. Mm-hmm. So there is something to be said for that. However, on the other hand, my immediate response to that visceral reaction before I stop and think about it is that, oh my gosh, everything's captured. I can't even be on a Reddit group yeah. about medication for a particular condition without somebody saying, you know, let me the caveat here, let me say this first, I'm privileged enough to be able to afford it. And so it's this, or to call our group, a group of, of, of privilege in the medical world. Again, is there some truth? Yes, because it's an expensive medication at the same time, though, that group isn't about the medical industry being accessible or inaccessible to poor yeah. people. Yeah. It's about a drug and whether, but, or not- but it's like, we have to do these acknowledgements every correct. time we talk correct. about, yeah, correct. Exactly. So it's this, it's getting people in this habit of self-flagellation. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, where you have to say that first. And then now yeah. once I've laid that out, now I can kind of talk about what's going on with, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. how this medication or condition is being treated. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, um, that's just something that personally, uh, and I don't know if that's something that somebody who isn't so dialed in would even catch, but it's something I'm going to be very sensitive to, because this has kind of been my work for the past three years, maybe mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the chat, I, I'm not sure how to say your name. Let's see. 
Fuchsia-Uten. Fuchsia-Uten. Sorry if I'm getting that wrong and it's something that I should just see. Uh, says we had to do that in our medical training to identify others based on their race, gender, sexuality, etc. And then to recognize how you are more privileged if you aren't in any of those minorities. Yes. Which interestingly yeah. enough, I want to say this particular medication and this Reddit group I'm a part of, everybody on there is paying less than I am. I just want to put that out there right now, that that's mm-hmm. the case. And so they have insurance or certain kinds of coverage that actually is giving them access to the medication at a lower copay. I mean, I'm seeing people that are getting the medication for free because they fall into low income. So mm. not to turn this into all of that. And it's not a poor Christine, the privilege contest. Yes. Yeah, the privilege contest, but if we're going to get technical, you know, that that's, what's interesting about it is that some of those underprivileged groups have access to programs here in California. Well, you know what, not in a countrywide, because it's not just California people, part of this Reddit group, um, have access to programs that will pay for their medication or at least a majority of it, whereas it is not the case for necessarily other people. So anybody who's in kind of a middle-ish place who isn't super wealthy, ultra wealth, um, you know, that to them, it doesn't matter. You know, they'll spend however many hundreds of dollars a month uh, versus somebody that doesn't have much and who's enrolled in a program that actually is income-based and says, you don't have a whole lot. So therefore we're going to give you access to this particular drug for little to no money. Well, you know what, that brings something else up in my mind as you're saying that it's like, so we know this is a virtue signal, but is it also perhaps a status signal? It's a kind of like the humble brag. Like, I know I'm a bit privileged. I'm so privileged to it's, it's like signaling to everybody else in the group. I'm not actually poor. Yes. That's, that's, that is so true. You know what? That is so true. And it's funny because, you know, I didn't, even consider that until I, you know, until I started seeing people use that cap, if they had just never said anything, I wouldn't have even considered that that was a part of the right. conversation. Like What's, not even thinking about in my head yeah, where, yeah. what their wealth status Co- is. Correct. Yeah. And so you're totally right. And the ones who are paying almost next to nothing, I'm going, oh, okay. So now I know that these people are in this particular bracket. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, that's such a good point. And I just did not think about it till just right now, as you're saying it. It's, it's the, that whole concept of luxury beliefs. Yes. Is it that says that yes. Rob, Rob Henderson, luxury beliefs. Maybe yeah. I, I've heard the term familiar mm-hmm. with it. Not sure mm-hmm. who first coined it, but yeah, that's but- kind of the part of, and I've never on me, you know, for me, I'm, I'm going into this group and saying, Hey, here's what's going on. These are the side effects for me, or this is what's happening here or whatever. You know, I've had this going on for a long time and tried different things, you know, so is this normal, you know, do you all feel that way? That's Mm -hmm. what I'm there on. I'm not there on the cost. I'm not there Mm -hmm. on accessibility, but the conversations quickly change into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's really interesting. It's such a strange time when we have to have conversations about these really political and social things that you know, wouldn't have been a part of polite conversation. Yes. 10, 15 years ago. Yes, exactly. And then that's when, I mean, it's, it, that's, I mean, to me, when it's, when it's seeped into that level, um, it starts to feel a little bit hopeless and I don't think it is hopeless. I do think that there are things that are turning around. I think that even for a lot of people that are on the 
very leftist side are, you know, and I'm, and I'm an independent voter. And I think I'm, I've said that I, I was a lifelong Democrat and then, and then I'm not now for a lot of mm-hmm. reasons, um, mm-hmm. because I'm a policy voter now. And mm-hmm. I wasn't before I was a party voter, uh, before, and I learned that, that was a problem. Um, so, but you're seeing people even that are on the farther left side starting to think that even some things have become too extreme. And I think that's where there's some hope. Mm-hmm. But then just yesterday, and I texted this to you, Leslie, right? I just yesterday. Oh yeah, you sent me this, this I really shocking this. thing. I didn't, did you send an article too? I didn't because the person that posted this um, on Twitter, I guess it was, I'm not even a Twitter, I joined Twitter because of CTA. It's a way to push out some of the material. But um, they didn't post the whole article. They just, somebody I follow, they just posted the headline of the article, which is California legislature passes a bill reducing penalties for oral anal sex with willing children, like suggesting that children can consent, that they I can I wonder what the willing. language of that is. That's really, that's a really shocking oh, headline. It is. So, you know, you see some progress with people going, wait, this is too extreme even for me. And you're thinking, okay, wow, this is great. And then you just kind of, there's this feeling of deflatedness when you open up, you know, your, your, you know, your news. And, and I don't, I don't read necessarily only mainstream. I I look at a lot of different news sources. So these kinds of things aren't covered as front stories everywhere, because I think that there's a purpose, there's a desire to bury them. So they don't want that kind of, I mean, they're not on me. Why is MSNBC or, or MSN not putting it on their front page? Why isn't mm-hmm. LA times even, which is the paper of record for California? Mm-hmm. Um, well, at least for Southern California, it's the paper of record. Why is that not there? Right. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. it's on some obscure, small independent paper that mm-hmm. nobody's ever heard of because there's no desire to publicly announce, guess what, everybody, here's what we've decided. We're thrilled. We want to present this on the news now. Yeah. And they're not, I just can't, I can't help wondering if that's some, if that's some conclusion that you could come through after you comb through a bunch of really dense legalistic language. And then they, they posted, they pasted that together in the most shocking way possible. But even if it is just a, I mean, whatever that is, that, that is, if that's true, that is horrifying, horrifying. California has been moving in the direction of, of reducing sentencing for, um, sexual assault, you know, predators really mm-hmm. for a long time. That was even happening when I was still teaching where they started to move toward reducing their sentences and reducing, you know, let's not label people a perpetrator because that doesn't help them get better. Let's call them, you know, an adult mm. who's attracted to minors. All that language was already around. It was percolating when I was still teaching. I just didn't pay a lot of attention to it. So I'm not terribly shocked that the legislature would pass something like that. That's so egregious because we were getting groomed for it. We were being prepared for that, that, that would be coming next, which was going to be, um, that they were going to reduce sentences and start letting some people out They're you know, thinking of getting rid of the, the registry, the predator registry. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's hmm. a consideration of doing that. I don't know, or, you know, keeping people off of it. So people that, wow are, you know, got convicted of what they think might've not been as serious because the child, the child consented may not. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Um, so I can understand from, from a therapy perspective that if you're working with someone, you want to use language that's more neutral and more like 
person first language instead of calling yes. them a whatever. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about no. the Department of Corrections or you know, the legal system. It's a very that's different exactly perspective. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, you have people that, you know, and 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 look, you know, when 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 I was, I mean, this was like several years ago, Contra Costa County, I got, I, I'll just be honest here. I got a ticket for reckless driving once. I was uh, many years ago driving my car. It was 3 a.m. and I was swerving. So I was texting and driving, which I have learned mm -hmm. my lesson, everybody since then. Um, and I ended up swerving so much. I was having some kind of conversation with someone. Um, it was a guy at the time. <laughs> This is why I never went to therapy and wanted to hear all about, you know, critical, whatever I was going because I needed to find it, find out why I was involved in toxic relationships for so long. So this was 15 years, I don't know, 15 years ago, it was a long time ago, but anyhow, um, I got pulled over and I did get arrested and mm -hmm. I didn't have a blood alcohol level, but they were convinced that I must've had drugs in my system because of how much I swerved. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I was released right away with my license and, you know, with my car and it was like, okay, go forth. But then I still ended up with this, you know, massive court case. And I actually went to court for it. It was a whole wow big to do. And, but what happened is I lost my job oh, um, working with, um, with kids and I was still an oh, intern oh, wow. immediately. It was my license was, I mean, my, um, the BBS, the BBS got word. And then of course I had to do a whole thing with them. And then I had, and it got cleared, but then I had nowhere to do my internship anymore. And oh, I was wow. trying to earn hours still. Again, it was a long time ago. I started mm -hmm. working in the field when I was 24. So I was quite yeah. young. Yeah. Um, and I was young and stupid at that time. So um, I was really in a bind and I just thought, well, gosh, you know, I'm getting, you know, such harsh, well, what ended up happening is, you know, several years later, I got a letter in the mail that that particular, um, uh, uh, county was finding that people were not able to get jobs who had a criminal record. And so they wanted to start expunging criminal records and reducing sentences and fines. Okay. okay. So for me, I'm like, great, it got expunged and I was able to finish my hours without needing it to be expunged. Mm -hmm. Um, because it was a reckless driving. It's not a felony. Well, that's Anyhow, if they're taking was, that into consideration and they're auditing like, things on the basis of severity, then well, I, I mean, that makes sense. Correct. So it's okay. sort of like, okay, now, now though, that time has passed and I'm watching, I'm, I'm starting to see, so worked out for me and they were able to expunge it. I never made the mistake again, but now, mm -hmm. you know, we're looking at like, what, like any, anyhow, I'm just leave there. But now for me, that was a sign that, okay, this is great that they're trying to look at mm -hmm. these kinds of things. But I think now what's being folded in is people that are committing greater felonies or greater misdemeanor type that mm -hmm. could become actual felonies. Mm -hmm. And they're reducing the sentencing and trying to get those people's records cleared. So when I saw this come through, I wasn't shocked because I think that was part of what has been a movement in California for quite some time. Now mm -hmm. I happen to benefit from it. I should have never had, um, a misdemeanor for that. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't going a hundred miles an hour. I would just, I was swerving, um, yeah. which I'm not saying I'm not defending it, but what I'm saying is they're willing to take my career for that. Right. Period of time for that. 
yet these other people and but but what was really going on and I understand now is that they're actually trying to do that for everyone and they're trying mm. to do that for people that maybe don't deserve that have more serious offenses yeah have more serious offenses mm-hmm. because when because that's what kept me from being able to see children it's because of that even though I wasn't mm-hmm. driving kids I wasn't drunk mm-hmm. I wasn't um, under the influence of any kind mm-hmm. of um, substance I was just being irresponsible and irrational at three in the morning I was sort of you know that's what was happening mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. Uh, that was at that time something... of day. I could see that they would have thought you were drunk. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. it was not, you know, but, like, but still, I mean, it was yeah, fine. Your, your point is, is a good one, you know, that it... It, it's just that it was the beginning of, I mean, and I benefited again from that, but it was the beginning, but I was already licensed. So it wasn't a huge benefit, but I, it was, it, it was the beginning of, of what you're seeing now unfold where they're trying to. Well, it sounds like reform. it's starting from a good we do need reform. We do need to make sure that, yes, that there's appropriate punishment based on what the crime is. I mean, they've gone a little nuts when something like that is going to prevent you from doing meaningful work. Yes. So it's good to have an audit of things, but, but yeah, some of the stuff I'm hearing about with releasing violent criminals yes. early and things like yes. this. This is really alarming, but I'm not, yes. I don't have the statistics and I don't have any yes. specifics to talk about to that. Yes. Yeah. I don't either. I, I don't have mm-hmm. any numbers, but I mm-hmm. think that's, that's what the bigger issue is, is that, yeah, you know, again, and I've said this before, these things start with a good idea. They, mm-hmm. they do. It's a good idea to have cultural diversity courses. It's a good idea for therapists to be aware that the person sitting in front of you could have had a very different life experience than you. So you need to be, you know, non, you know, judgy and, and you need to make sure that you're, um, you know, checking your assumptions. All of this yeah. is good. These, these yeah. ideas started off that way and then they became extreme and captured and people ask why. And of course I could go on and on about why yeah. I think that is, but well, you're right. I mean, it is good for, for therapists to be trained in that way. And, and I would come back to, and they are, Yes, because that's a basic. That's one of the foundational principles of doing person-centered work. Is yeah, Yeah. you know, you're 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 aware that people are coming from. So it's a redundancy. Yes, and then the stress on group identity. Yes, uh, is clearly a a false emphasis being placed on certain things for political purposes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where the hijack, the word hijack, right. comes to mind. I think that's where that, that, that is initiated and, and, you know, used as, uh, you know, weaponized in a sense. Um, so yeah, it's things that start off as good ideas have a, they have a place and then they're taken uh, into mm-hmm. the hands of, and they're exploited and then all sorts of, you know, uh, ways they're cut up and, and used in different fashions, but, you know, yeah. I don't think, you know, most people, I mean, and the age of consent of legal consent is 16 in in Europe, they've been lower than 18. I think it's 16 in Europe um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, uh, age of consent for sexual activity with anybody Mm -hmm. of any age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're moving toward that. In my Mm -hmm. opinion, Mm -hmm. I believe they're probably going to end up lowering that. Well, that's really interesting. That might be worth it. A discussion in and of itself. Yeah. To see what yeah. what thoughts there are around that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk. Oh, I, I know we've got a 
wrap up but it's yeah thanks for having me it's been too long we I do know. it again soon we will we will it's always yeah. a pleasure so thank yeah. you so much thank yes. you to everybody who joined us in the chat today yep. and we'll see you again soon sounds good